just water. I wouldn't bring coffee in here. <laughs> well, I've titled today's sermon, The Wicked Man. I don't know that we, we see the wicked man everywhere today in our society, on the news. And so before I even start, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord God, we are here today due to your marvelous grace and mercy in our lives. We pray this morning that you would open our ears and our hearts to hear. That we might receive with meekness the the truth of your word this morning. May you make each one here good soil to receive the good seed, the good seed of your word, and strengthen us against the temptations of Satan, the cares of this world, and even the hardness of our own hearts, so that all of our thoughts might be brought captive to Christ. And it's in his holy name that we pray this morning. Amen. Now, the last time I spoke, uh, before you, we were in the book of Psalms, and I managed to cover the first two verses. Now, we know that Pastor John would get at least 12 sermons out of them two verses, but I'm not a gifted speaker like Pastor John, uh, nor a lawyer. I did watch Perry Mason with my aunt when I was growing up, and, uh, but it had little effect on my speaking ability. Anyways, I'm, I'm thankful for Pastor John and all that he has been to me and taught me in the last almost eight years. Everybody said when I got older, time would go faster, and it truly is. We put fan blades on all our clocks. In the house keeps everything cool. Uh, time goes fast. I'm going to read Psalm 1, if you would read along with me. The heading is, The Righteous and the Wicked Contrasted. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the, wick, the way of the wicked will perish. And you may remember from my last sermon that we looked at the fact that there are only two types of people in the world in God's eyes. The righteous and the wicked. I related people to ice cream. Uh, I was amazed that that got so many comments. 
comments, and that there are only two types of people, two groups, two kinds, like chocolate and vanilla, that's it. There's no strawberry, there are no twists, two flavors, two types of people, that's it. We said that the blessed man was chocolate and the, and the vanilla was the wicked group. So we examine what the blessed man, the righteous man, does not do. Not that this blessed man is earning his salvation by what he does or doesn't do, but that because his heart of stone has been replaced with a new heart of flesh, that because of the power of the gospel, he has been born again and has no desire anymore to participate in certain activities. The blessed man does not walk with or take counsel with wicked people anymore. If you remember my new word from last time, I don't think I've used it since then, that, that new word uh, was chillax. Well, this blessed man is not going to chillax. It's like chill and, re and relax put together. He's not going to chillax with the wicked. This blessed, born-again man hates sin, and the thought of being involved with these evil people brings grief to his heart. He is not going to stand with them, which means to walk in their shoes, nor what? Not to walk in their shoes, nor sit with those that mock who God is, those who mock his word, and even mock his children, when you sit down with them, when you buddy up with them, it's saying that you are in agreement with their lies and their scoffing. We left the negative side of his character in verse 1 and looked at the positive side in verse 2. The positive side is easy to see. As this blessed man finds joy, his delight is pleasure in the law of the Lord. He is getting his directions for this life from the word of God. As we hope to see later in verse 6, this blessed man is walking in the way of the righteous. In the early church, those that believed were temporarily called those in the way. And so, Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. This morning, if you look at the blessed man, he doesn't just open his Bible on Sunday when he comes to church. His Bible is somewhat worn and marked up, for he's in it all the time. If Jimmy was here today, you'd just see yellow when you open the pages of his highlighting and marking. This blessed man is in God's Word all the time. He's meditating upon God's Word day and night. He is constantly pondering its truth. We looked last time at what Solomon wrote in Proverbs 23, 7. 
and you don't have to go there because I'm going to be using a few different verses today. This is a short one from before. For as he thinks in himself, so he is. This blessed man is always thinking God's thoughts because he thought about what he loved. And he loved God. And he loved God's word. Remember from before I said that we love, what we love is what we love to think about. And the blessed man loves God's word. And even when he has idle moments, he ponders the things of God. Today we're going to pick up in verse 3 of Psalm 1. And we see the words that he will be like a tree. Who is he? He is the blessed man in verses 1 and 2. The only true blessed man was Jesus Christ. He never walked with the wicked. He never stood with sinners. He confronted them of their sin. And so we're, we're mindful that Jesus was perfect. He kept the law perfectly. He was the truly blessed man. Now, this is not a metaphor here, as the psalmist didn't write down that he was a tree, uh, but it's a simile. It's that he is like a tree. A simile is a figure of speech that compares two otherwise dissimilar things often introduced by the words like or as. Also, the use of associating a man with a tree is quite common in English poetry, and there are many analogies in our Bibles. And that's your English lesson for today. Now, so many people are wanting to take every word of the Bible literally. We've learned this in our Sunday school lessons on the book of Revelation that John has been walking us through. And so in Jeremiah 17, we see the contrast of the wicked, or of course, cursed man, and the blessed man, just as in Psalm 1. Now, I'm not a bush or a tree, <laughs> and you're not either. But the analogy here in both texts is the same. This blessed man is, is like the well-watered tree that produces fruit. Again, notice the simile, the word like, as I read these verses from Jeremiah 17, starting in verse 5. Jeremiah 17, 5, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength and whose heart turns away from the Lord, for he will be like a bush in the desert and will not see when prosperity comes but will live in stony wastes in the wilderness, a land of salt without inhabitant. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. Verse 8, For he will be like a tree, be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by a stream and will not fear when the heat comes but its leaves will be green, and it will not be anxious in a year of drought, nor cease 
to yield fruit. These verses remind me of the Permian Basin, the desert in Texas, where my West Texas, where my son lives. If you don't water it, it's brown or it's dead. And the water that they have there is so full of salt, it isn't that helpful because salt kills things too. The land there is like the cursed man described by Jeremiah. Anyways, back to our text in Psalm 1. This tree, this blessed man, this blessed woman, has been firmly planted by streams of water. Now to be firmly planted mean that you were, means that you were, you were brought from somewhere else, you were transplanted. This means that you were chosen to be transplanted. This blessed man has been chosen by God. He is the man Paul speaks of in Ephesians 1.4. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. This man was chosen and transplanted by the sovereign grace and mercy of God. Trees can't transplant themselves any more than a leopard can change its spots or that a man can save himself from the wrath of God. But this isn't where this blessed man started out. As he started out in the wilderness of sin, in the spiritual desert of darkness and drought that this world consists of, totally, totally separated from God. He was far, far away from these streams of water. And there was no fruit on this tree. No, this tree was shriveled up with its leaves all withered, with no hope of water. A barren tree, a dead tree. All of us in this room started here. Ephesians 2.1 We were trees of Ephesians 2.1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And I checked the original language. Dead means dead. I could read all ten verses every time I'm up here. Ephesians 2.4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. It was God's invisible hand of grace that drew us to himself by the supernatural work of regeneration. It is he that transplanted us by streams of living water, streams of unending grace. If you have been born again today, you are the blessed man. You are this blessed woman. This is nothing that I did or you did. God did the transplanting. He did all the work. My, my works are filthy rags. The text says that you were firmly planted why firmly? 
In, in my Bible, the word firmly is in italics, which means that it wasn't in the original language. However, it is there for us because the original language implies that this tree, this chosen tree, was firmly planted by God's own hands, if you will. If you know who God is, He isn't just throwing this uprooted tree in a hole and walking away. No way. No way. Just one verse to remind you. It's Numbers 24.6 Like valleys that stretch out, like gardens beside the river, like aloes planted by the Lord, like cedars beside the waters. I'm sure the Lord is putting plenty of good soil around this tree, tamping the dirt down firmly to promote good root growth. So when the wind, when the storms of life come blowing in on this tree, on this blessed man, he will be able to stand firm. This blessed man will not be moved as God in his sovereignty has placed this man in the exact place where he will thrive and be fruitful. As I studied this, I was reminded of all that, that God did to bring me to salvation and how he's blessed me for more years than I ever imagined. If you've ever transplanted a tree or a bush, you know that it will require watering to get the roots to grow and spread out. This godly transplanted tree is planted by what? Streams of water. The psalmist tells us. Our translation in the NASB is streams. Some translations use rivers. But irregardless, it is an illustration it's an illustration and an allusion to the eastern method of irrigation. Because if you've been in the desert, there's not a lot of water. Jesse will tell you. He was out in the desert for quite a while. Well, these people would dig a ditch or a canal and divert water from the stream or river so that it would flow down between the rows of trees. These rivulets would give these trees a constant supply of moisture, and they would never go dry. God's grace, His unending grace, is our supply of moisture. Charles Spurgeon helps us in seeing the importance of this water, and I quote, These are like the rivers of pardon and the rivers of grace, the rivers of the promise and the rivers of the communion with Christ. There is never an end to their supply, end quote. This is the living water that Jesus spoke of to the Samaritan woman in John 4. I, I assume you know the, the historical record. I like to say that. It's not a story. It's not the three little pigs or Jack and the Beanstalk. It's history. It's what happened. And so this woman was only, this woman was only thinking of water from a well. Jacob's well. 
Jesus was offering her living water. A water of grace. A water that she had never tasted. And so we see some buts in the Bible here in John 4.14. Jesus tells her, But whoever, but whoever drinks of this water that I will give him shall never thirst, but the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. Back to our blessed man in Psalm 1, who is like a transplanted tree, who is thriving by the rivers of grace that is surrounding it. Then this psalmist states that this tree yields its fruit in its season. Because of the streams of water around it, this tree has roots going deep into the soil, which provides nutrients, which produces an abundance of fruit. This is the blessed man from verse 2 that delights in God's word, that meditates on it day and night, who is being led by the Holy Spirit, who will produce fruit, fruits of righteousness in its proper time. The fruit of this tree is not untimely as it doesn't ripen and fall too soon. And even though the crop is abundant, it doesn't fall before it is mature. The roots of faith produce the fruits of faith. Simply put, fruitfulness is an essential quality of a gracious man. And that fruitfulness should be seasonable. That this blessed man in his season will serve you whenever the opportunity arises. For anyone, at any time, and for any reason, for God's glory and not for his own. This tree has leaves on it that do not wither. Unlike our trees here in northeast Ohio in the fall, they're beautiful right now. This tree is like an evergreen. It's green all the time. It's green all year long. Except it produces fruit. Some commentators that I read believe it would be a date palm. This tree is unlike the wicked tree that is dried up, shriveled up, brown, barren, unable to produce any fruit. This transplanted tree is colorful. It is vibrant and full of foliage, as we noticed. Full of fruit. So at the end of verse 3, the word he is used twice. And we're back to the blessed man. And whatever he does, he prospers. This verse is one that the health and wealth false teachers in our day, they jump on this and they tie their foolishness to this. They tell us to send them some seed money and God will give us back a hundredfold. And they go on with their schemes and their lies to get more funds to put fuel in their 747 or whatever. Their father is the devil. And I'll stop there. But from my study, this blessed man has a, has a promise that is speaking of prosperity that is mostly unseen. Not always seen on the outside in terms of what the, the world call, calls, calls prosperous. But in the original language, 
This, this word prosper means to push forward. This blessed man is pushing forward in his knowledge of God's word as he meditates upon it day and night. Think about when David wrote this psalm. He didn't have a Bible like we do. At best, he would have had the, the first five books of Moses. Oh, how we should cherish and immerse ourselves in his word. His word in our own language. There's people in the world that don't have that today. I can say this for myself, and many of you would agree, but God has used Pastor John to push me forward, to prosper me in my understanding of theology so that I might be grounded and settled in my faith. Praise God. Praise God. It is by faith in the Lord and trusting in His Word that we push forward, that we prosper. It's by the encouragement of the triune God through the Holy Spirit that has moved us forward. There are times in our lives when what is taking place to us seems so unfair. Or we would even ask, we would ask him, why, Lord? Why are you allowing this to happen? Why are you allowing this to continue? But by faith, we know that God is sovereign and is using it to prosper us inwardly, to move us forward ever closer to him. Yep, even when it doesn't make any sense to us. A good example of this word prosper is found in the life of Joseph in Genesis 39, 1 through 3. You all know the story, I'm sure. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. And Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now his master saw that the Lord was with him and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but you remember that the next thing that happened was that Joseph was accused of sexually harassing Potiphar's wife and was thrown into prison. Verse 23 of chapter 39 reads, The chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge, because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. We know that Joseph went on to be second in command of all of Egypt, and what his brothers meant for evil, God used for good. God pushed Joseph forward and gave him a heart of forgiveness, not what his brothers deserved. Good old Chuck Spurgeon sums up true prosperity quite well. And I quote Chuck, There is a true prospering, for it is often for the soul's health that we should be poor, bereaved, and persecuted. Our worst things are often our best things. As there is a curse wrapped up in the wicked man's mercies, 
So there is a blessing concealed in the righteous man's crosses, losses, and sorrows. The trials of the saint are a divine husbandry by which he grows and brings forth abundant fruit. End quote. Moving forward to verse 4, we have a total contrast to the blessed man in verses 1 through 3. Now the psalmist is pointing out or, or highlighting, if you will, the wicked. Or if you're in the King James, it says the ungodly. The wicked man's character is the total opposite of the blessed man in verse 1. This wicked man is not born again. He hasn't been redeemed. He's an unregenerate man. There is no spiritual life in him. For the wicked man walks and counsels with the rest of the wicked. He's the one, he stands in the way of sinners. He sits in the seats with the scoffers. The wicked man does not delight in the law of the Lord, nor does he meditate upon it. The wicked man is not like a tree firmly planted by streams of water that is green, full of foliage and fruitful. The wicked man is a dead tree. In considering the original language, it would read, not so the wicked, not so. For us today in English, we can easily ask, are these wicked men or women blessed, happy? The proper answer would be, not so, not so. Are they satisfied? Not so, not so. Have they been chosen to be transplanted? Not so. Not so. Do they prosper in all of life? Not so. Not so. Are they fruitful? Not so. Not so. And I could go on. The point the psalmist is trying to make is that whatever good thing is said about the blessed man is not true in the case of the wicked man. Remember from where we started, there are only two types of people in God's eyes. Chocolate and vanilla. Here in verse 4, the wicked are compared to chaff. We have a few farmers in our midst here, and they will tell you that chaff is worthless. The chaff is the dry, scaly, protective casing around the wheat or barley, and the chaff is loosened from the grain by threshing. Some of the Amish still shock, use threshing machines, and... I'm sure Danny Erb could tell you about more info on that. The English farmers around here use combines to harvest their grain. They are called combines because what used to be a three- or four-step process is now combined into one. The combine cuts, threshes, and separates the grain from the chaff. You've seen them out in the fields around Beloit, Deerfield, the chaff and the straw are exiting the back of the combine in a cloud of dust. Worthless chaff. I tell you all this as when the psalm was written, all of this harvesting was done by hand. And the farmer would go to the highest place on his farm where the wind would blow and he'd place his threshing floor there on his farm and he'd place it on the ground and after threshing the grain, 
he would take something like a shovel or a winnowing fork and toss the grain into the air and the wind would blow away the chaff and the grain which is heavier would land on the floor. He would do this over and over again to remove the chaff from the grain. There was never any effort to capture the chaff as like the wicked, it is totally worthless. It has no substance and is easily carried by the wind. Our verse today says the wind drives away. And so the wind drives away the chaff. It is like a whirlwind which shows the, the powerful tempest of death that sweeps away the soul of the wicked. The book of Job, chapter 21, 18, is how God deals with the wicked. In, <clears throat> As they are straw before the wind, and like chaff, which the storm carries away. Moving right along, verse 5 of Psalm 1 starts out with therefore. And so when we see the word therefore... We always look to see what, what it's there for. It's there to remind us of what has been said. As the first three verses were about who the blessed man is. Who he does not walk, stand, or sit with. And what this man of God is like. And what he does is prosperous. For we now see that the worthless chaff, the wicked, will not stand in the judgment. In first reading, one might think, wait a minute, what, what do you mean they, they won't stand? They won't be there? They won't be judged? Oh, the wicked will be there, but they won't be acquitted. The evidence against them will be overwhelming. They will stand there, and they will be red-faced and covered with eternal contempt. These wicked folks will not be standing in grace, but in total condemnation. They are not standing under a divine pardon as the blessed man is. They will have nothing to boast about for sure. <clears throat> Jumping ahead to Psalm 5, 5. I'll actually back up to 4. For <clears throat> Psalm 5, 4. For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. No evil dwells with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all who do iniquity. We see that the wicked will be at the judgment. The final judgment. But as a good lawyer will tell you, a guy I know named John Tucker would tell you, without Christ, you don't have a leg to stand on. The wicked have no justification. Paul reminds us in Romans 3, and we all know this verse, starting in Romans 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace 
through the redemption which, which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. If you have trusted in Christ and in his keeping the law of God perfectly, for he lived a perfect life, which we can't, as his substitutionary death on a cross atoned for our sins, past, present, and future, and that the propitiation that God displayed publicly not only satisfied his wrath for our sins, but it satisfied the wrath that was against us as well. God is the judge of the world. If you are in the wicked camp, you will not be able to stand as your own defense lawyer before a thrice holy God. No, you will be charged with eternal contempt. Paul reminds us of this in 1 Corinthians 6. 1 Corinthians 6, 6, starting in verse 9. Or did you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. Our justification is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It is, one, it is a one-time act of God in which the perfect righteousness of Christ is imputed to us and our sin is imputed to him. Back to Psalm 1, as the latter part of verse 5 of Psalm 1 reads, Nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For me, that's part of my longing for heaven. To live in a place totally absent of darkness, totally absent of sin, that there will not be one wicked person there. Now, I could chillax there. I could chillax. I love Chuck Spurgeon on this part of verse 5, and, and I quote him again, All our congregations upon the earth are mixed. Every church has one devil in it. That's why I thought I better quote Chuck. The tares grow in the same furs as the wheat. There is no floor which has yet been thoroughly purged from chaff. Sinners mix with saints as dross mingles with gold. God's precious diamonds still lie in the same field with the pebbles. Righteous lots are this side of heaven, continually vexed by the men of Sodom. Let us rejoice then that in the general assembly and church of the firstborn above, there shall by no means be admitted a single unrenewed soul. Sinners cannot live in heaven. They would be out of their element. Sooner could a fish live upon a tree 
than the wicked in paradise. Heaven would be intolerable to them. It would be an intolerable hell to them, to the impenitent man, even if he would be allowed to enter. But such a privilege will never be granted to the man who perseveres in his iniquities. End quote. Chuck paints a great word picture of the separation. And we see that the wicked man's ruin is doubly marked. First, he is condemned at the judgment bar. And secondly, he will be separated from all the saints for all of eternity. So we see that the sheep and the goats will never share the same pasture again. For all of eternity, forever and ever and ever. And like Pastor John, I have too many notes, and I did bring my watch, and no one's fixing a swatch. And I don't want yours to be a burnt offering. <laughs> and so, I guess we're going to do verse 6 the next time. And it talks about the way. And we will talk about that next time. The way of the wicked. The way of the wicked is the wide gate in Matthew 7 that leads to destruction. The way of the blessed man is the narrow gate, the narrow path that leads to everlasting life. So chocolate or vanilla, which spiritual category would you say that you are in today? And then ask yourself why. Is it because you think it's something you did? Or do you realize that it is only by the blessed work of Jesus Christ on your behalf? If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, I assure you, there's no guarantee for tomorrow. Turn to him today. Just cry out to him. Lord, I'm a sinner. Save me today. He chose a wretched man like me. And he saved me. I don't know why. But I rejoice that he did. So I would encourage you to think about what we looked at in this psalm. Think about your life. What do you enjoy doing? Where do you spend your time? What do you think about when you have nothing to do? <laughs> I know some of you aren't in that category, but, but I'm old. And so let's close in prayer today. Lord, we're grateful for the truth of your word and for the directness of this marvelous psalm. May, may we leave here today rejoicing that because of the finished work of Christ, we can live for eternity as a blessed man, as a blessed woman. In Jesus' holy name, we pray. Amen. Thank you. God bless you.